Chapter One of Tea and Tea Drinking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tea and Tea Drinking by Alfred Reed. Chapter One Introduction of Tea. Introduced by the East India Company. Mrs. Pepys making her first cup of tea. Virtues of Tea. Thomas Garway's Advertisement. Waller's Birthday Ode. Tea a Rarity in Country Homes. Introduced into the Quaker School. Extension of Tea Drinking. The Social Tea Table a National Delight. England the Largest Consumer of Tea. I sent for a cup of tea, a China drink, of which I had never drank before, writes Pepys in his diary of the 25th of September, 1660. It appears, however, that it came into England in 1610, but at ten guineas a pound it could scarcely be expected to make headway. A rather large consignment was, however, received in 1657. This fell into the hands of a thriving London merchant, Mr. Thomas Garway, who established a house for selling the prepared beverage. Another writer states that tea was introduced by the East India Company early in 1571. Though it may not be possible to fix the exact date, one fact is clear, that it was a costly beverage. Not until 1667 did it find its way into Pepys' own home. Home, he says, and there find my wife making of tea a drink which Mr. Pelling, the potticary, tells her is good for her cold and defluxions. Commenting upon this entry, Charles Knight said, Mrs. Pepys making her first cup of tea is a subject to be painted. How carefully she meets out the grains of the precious drug which Mr. Pelling, the potticary, has sold her at an enormous price, a crown an ounce at the very least. She has tasted the liquor once before, but then there was sugar in the infusion, a beverage only for the highest. If tea should become fashionable, it will cost in their housekeeping as much as their claret. However, Pepys says that the price is coming down and he produces the handbill of Thomas Garway in Exchange Alley, which the lady peruses, with great satisfaction. This handbill is an extraordinary production. It is entitled An Exact Description of the Growth, Quality, and Virtues of the Leaf Tea by Thomas Garway in Exchange Alley, near the Royal Exchange in London, tobacconist and seller and retailer of tea and coffee. It sets forth that Tea is generally brought from China, and groweth there upon little shrubs and bushes. The branches whereof are well garnished with white flowers that are yellow within, of the lightness and fashion of sweetbriar, but in smell unlike, bearing thin green leaves about the bigness of scortium, myrtle, or sumac, and is judged to be a kind of sumac. This plant hath been reported to grow wild only, but doth not for they plant it in the gardens about four foot distance and it groweth about four foot high and of the seeds they maintain and increase their stock of this leaf there are divers sorts though all one shape some much better than others the upper leaves excelling the others in fineness a property almost in all plants which leaves they gather every day and dry them in the shade or in iron pans over a gentle fire till the humidity be exhausted then put clothes up in leaden pots, preserve them for their tea drink, 
which is used at meals and upon all visits and entertainments in private families and in the palaces of grandees and is averred by a padre of macao native of japan that the best tea ought to be gathered but by virgins who are destined for this work the particular virtues are these it maketh the body active and lusty it helpeth the headache giddiness and heaviness thereof it removeth the obstructiveness of the spleen it is very good against the stone and gravel cleaning the kidneys and ureters being drank with virgin's honey instead of sugar it taketh away the difficulty of breathing opening obstructions it is good against tippitude distillations and cleareth the sight it removeth lassitude and cleanseth and purifieth acrid humours in a hot liver it is good against crudities strengthening the weakness of the ventricle or stomach causing good appetite and digestion and particularly for men of corpulent body and such as are great eaters of flesh it vanquisheth heavy dreams easeth the frame and strengtheneth the memory it overcometh superfluous sleep and prevents sleepiness in general a draught of the infusion being taken so that without trouble whole nights may be spent in study without hurt to the body in that it moderately healeth and bindeth the mouth of the stomach other remarkable properties are attributed to the chinese herb but the extracts we have given sufficiently indicate the efforts made to arrest attention and to induce people to buy tea as a further inducement this enterprising dealer assures his readers that whereas tea hath been sold in the leaf for six pounds and sometimes for ten pounds the pound weight the said tometh hath ten to sell from sixteen to fifty shillings in the pound this clever puff had the desired effect for according to the diurnal of thomas rugg there were at this time sixteen fifty nine a turkish drink to be sold almost in every street called coffee and another kind of drink called tea and also a drink called chocolate which was a very hearty drink it was advertised in the public journals the mercurius politicus of the thirtieth of september sixteen fifty eight sets forth that excellent and by all physicians approved china drink called by the chinians teha by other nations te alias tea is sold at the sultaness head coffee-house in sweeting's rents by the royal exchange london it was sold also at jonathan's coffee-house in exchange alley in her bold strike for a wife mrs st Leve laid out one of her scenes at jonathan's while the business goes on she makes the coffee-boys cry fresh coffee gentlemen fresh coffee bohe tay gentlemen bohe tay gentlemen but the most famous house for tea was garway's or as it appears in old and new london garraway's coffee-house which was swept away a few years ago in the march of improvement for two centuries however it had been one of the most celebrated coffee-houses in the city defoe mentions it as being frequented about noon by people of quality who had business in the city and the more considerable and wealthy citizens but it was also the resort of speculators here the south sea bubblers met as well as the lovers of good tea dean swift in his ballad on the south sea bubble calls change alley a narrow sound though deep as hell and describes the wreckers watching for the shipwrecked dead on garraway's cliffs 
but the influence of royalty did more than anything else to make tea-drinking fashionable in sixteen sixty two remarks mr montgomery martin in a treatise on the past and present state of the tea trade published in eighteen thirty two charles the second married the princess catherine of portugal who it is said was fond of tea having been accustomed to it in her own country hence it became fashionable in england edmund waller in a birthday ode on her majesty ascribes the introduction of the herb to the queen in the following lines venus her myrtle phoebe has his bays tea both excels which she vows saves to praise the best of queens and best of herbs we owe to that bold nation which the way did show to the fair region where the sun does shine whose rich productions we so justly prize the muse's friend tea does our fancy aid repress those vapours which the head invade and keeps that palace of the soul serene fit on her birthday to salute the queen waller is believed to have been the first poet to write in praise of tea and no doubt his poem did much to promote its use among the rich in lord clarington's diary tenth of february sixteen eighty eight occurs the following entry le pere coplet supped with me he is a man of very good conversation after supper we had tea which he said was as good as any he had drank in china the chinese who came over with him and mr fraser supped likewise with us in the tatler on the tenth of october seventeen sixteen appears the following advertisement mr favies sixteen shilling bohay tea not much inferior in goodness to the best foreign bohay tea is sold by himself only at the bell in grace church street note the best foreign bohay is worth thirty shillings a pound so that what is sold at twenty shillings or twenty-one shillings must either be faulty tea or mixed with a proportionate quantity of damaged green or bohay the worst of which will remain black after infusion tea continued a fashionable drink dr alex carlyle in his autobiography describing the fashionable mode of living at harrogate in seventeen sixty three wrote the ladies gave afternoons tea and coffee in their turns which coming but once in four or six weeks amounted to a trifle probably the ladies did not drink so much as their servants who were reported to have cared more for tea than for ale in seventeen fifty five a visitor from italy wrote even the common maid-servants must have their tea twice a day in all the parade of quality they make it their bargain at first this very article amounts to as much as the wages of servants in italy this demand was a serious tax upon the purses of the rich for at that time tea was still excessively dear according to reed's weekly journal or british gazetteer of the twenty seventh of april seventeen thirty four the prices were as follows green tea nine to twelve shillings per pound congo ten to twelve shillings per pound bohay ten shillings to twelve shillings per pound pico fourteen to sixteen shillings per pound imperial nine to twelve shillings per pound hyson twenty to twenty-five shillings per pound gradually however the prices came down as the consumption increased in seventeen forty a grocer who had a shop at the east corner of chancellery lane advertised to find us caper at twenty-four shillings a pound fine green eighteen shillings hyson sixteen shillings and bohay seven shillings 
the latter quality was no doubt used in the tea gardens which at that time had become popular institutions in and around london the mary le bon gardens were opened every sunday evening when genteel company were admitted to walk gratis and were accommodated with coffee tea cakes etc the quality of the cakes was an important feature at such gardens mr trussler's daughter begs leave to inform the nobility and gentry that she intends to make fruit tarts during the fruit season and hopes to give equal satisfaction as with the rich cakes and almond cheesecakes the fruit will always be fresh gathered having great quantities in the garden and none but loaf sugar used and the finest epping butter in one respect the good old times were better than these gone are the fruit tarts the rich cakes and the fragrant cup of tea from the suburban tea gardens which rarely supply refreshment either for man or beast at any rate it is a misnomer to call them tea gardens we think beer gardens would more accurately indicate their character some day probably the landlords of public houses and of tea gardens will endeavour to meet the wants and tastes of all persons at present they utterly ignore the existence of a large class not necessarily teetotalers to whom a cup of tea is more cheering than a glass of grog after a long walk from the city among the most famous tea-houses is twinings in the strand it was founded mr e walford says about the year seventeen ten by the great-great-grandfather of the present partners mr thomas twining whose portrait painted by hogarth kit-cat size hangs in the back parlour of the establishment the house or houses for they really are two though made one practically by internal communication stand between the strand and the east side of devereux court the original depot for the sale of the then scarce and fashionable beverage tea stood at the southwest angle of the present premises on the side of what had been tom's coffee-house directly opposite the grecian a peep into the old books of the firm shows that in the reign of queen anne tea was sold by the few houses then in the trade at various prices between twenty and thirty shillings per pound and that ladies of fashion used to flock to messrs twining's house in devereux court in order to sip the enlivening beverage in their small china cups for which they paid their shillings much as nowadays they sit in their carriages eating ices at the door of gunter's in berkeley square on hot days the bank was gradually engrafted on the old business after it had been carried on for more than a century from sire to son and may be said as a separate institution to date from the commercial panic of eighteen twenty five although tea was extensively used in london and some of the principal cities it did not become popular in country houses for instance at whitby writes the historian of that town tea was very little used a century ago most of the old men being very much against it but after the death of the old people it soon came into general use old habits die hard the stronger beverage of english ale had been so long in use that the old folks could not be induced to relinquish it for a foreign herb a striking instance of the force of habit is related by dr aiken in his history of manchester seventeen ninety five about seventeen twenty he says there were not above three or four carriages kept in the town one of these belonged to madame Blank in salford this respectable old lady was of a social disposition and could not bring herself to conform to the new-fashioned beverage of tea and coffee whenever therefore she made her afternoon's visit 
her friends presented her with a tankard of ale and a pipe of tobacco a little before this period a country gentleman had married the daughter of a citizen of london she had been used to tea and in compliment to her it was introduced by some of the neighbours but the usual afternoon's entertainment at gentlemen's houses at that time was wet and dry sweetmeats different sorts of cake and gingerbread apples and other fruits of the season and a variety of home-made wines at that time it was the custom for the apprentices to live with their employers whose fare was far from liberal but somewhat before seventeen sixty remarks dr aiken a considerable manufacturer allotted a back parlour with a fire for the use of his apprentices and gave them tea twice a day his fees in consequence rose higher than had before been known from two hundred and fifty to three hundred pounds and he had three or four apprentices at a time tea was evidently a costly beverage for water pottage appears to have been the usual dish provided for apprentices those who could afford it however drank the chinese herb there are many references to tea in the private journal and literary remains of john byram a famous manchester worthy and these clearly indicate that in the middle of the eighteenth century tea was very generally provided for visitors but in some towns the older people were much opposed to tea the prejudice against it was however gradually overcome the young took kindly to it and the women especially found it an agreeable substitute for alcoholic drinks not until eighteen sixty was tea introduced into the quaker school at ackworth where john bright received a portion of his early education when a boy the great orator was unable to endure the spartan system of training and force there and after twelve months experience he was removed to a private school for breakfast both boys and girls had porridge poured on bread for dinner little meat but plenty of pudding for a third meal no provision seems to have been made mr henry thompson the historian of the school thus describes the circumstances under which tea was introduced into the school in the autumn of eighteen sixty thomas pumphrey's health having been in a failing condition for some months he was requested to take a long holiday for the purpose of recruiting it if possible on his return after a three months absence learning that the conduct of the children had been everything that he could desire he devised for them a treat which was so effectively managed that we believe it is looked upon by those who had the pleasure of participating in it as one of the most delightful occasions of their school days he invited the whole family boys girls and teachers to an evening tea party the only room in the establishment in which he could receive so large a concourse of guests was the meeting-house in response to his kind proposal willing helpers flew to his aid the room where all were wont to meet for worship and rarely for any other purpose was by nimble and willing fingers transformed in a few days into a festive hall whose walls and pillars were draped with evergreen festoons and half concealed by busky bowers amidst whose foliage stuffed birds perched and wild animals crouched amidst the verdant decorations might also be seen emblazoned the names of great patrons of the school and of the five superintendents who for more than eighty years had guided its internal economy they who witnessed the scene tell us of two wonderful piles of ornamentation which were erected at the entrance to the minister's gallery the one symbolic of the activities of the physical the other of the intellectual moral and religious life as its good superintendent would have them to be the village having been requisitioned for cups and saucers for this great multitude 
the whole school sat down at a genuine social english tea-table for the first time in its history there can be no doubt that milk is better than tea for the young but tea now forms part of the dietary at almost every school and we question whether there is a house in england where tea is unknown dr edward smith writing in eighteen seventy four says no one who has lived for half a century can have failed to note the wonderful extension of tea-drinking habits in england from the time when tea was a coveted and almost unattainable luxury to the labourer's wife to its use morning noon and night by all classes the caricature of hogarth in which a lady and gentleman approach in a very dainty manner each holding an oriental teacup of infantile size implies more than a satire upon the porcelain purchasing habits of the day and shows that the use of tea was not only the fashion of a select few but the quantity of the beverage consumed was as small as the teacups in another chapter we have given some interesting statistics showing the extent of the consumption of this wonderful beverage which has exercised such an influence for good in this country a curious and not uninstructive work might be written dr sigmund said in eighteen thirty nine upon the singular benefits which have accrued to this country from the preference we have given to the beverage obtained from the tea plant above all those that might be derived from the rich treasures of the vegetable kingdom it would prove that our national importance has been intimately connected with it and that much of our present greatness and even the happiness of our social system springs from this unsuspected source it would show us that our mighty empire in the east that our maritime superiority and that our progressive advancement in the arts and the sciences have materially depended upon it great indeed are the blessings which have been diffused among immense masses of mankind by the cultivation of a shrub whose delicate leaf passing through a variety of hands forms an incentive to industry contributes to health to national riches and to domestic happiness the social tea-table is like the fireside of our country a national delight and if it be the scene of domestic converse and agreeable relaxation it should likewise bid us remember that everything connected with the growth and preparation of this favourite herb should awaken a higher feeling that of admiration love and gratitude to him who saw everything that he had made and behold it was good tea is the national drink of china and japan and so far back as eighteen thirty four professor johnston in his chemistry of common life estimated that it was consumed by no less than five hundred millions of people or more than one-third of the whole human race excluding china england appears to be the largest consumer of tea as shown in the following table compiled by mr mulhall and printed in his dictionary of statistics consumption of luxuries per inhabitant per year these are ounces united kingdom coffee fifteen tea seventy two france fifty two one germany eighty three one russia three seven austria thirty five one italy eighteen one spain four one belgium and holland a hundred and seventy five and eight denmark seventy six and eight sweden and norway eighty eight and two the united states one hundred and fifteen and twenty one end of chapter one